Now I've got to find out exactly where you're going to be because I'll be looking at you a lot, Zoe, during this uh, message, okay? All right. I know it's kind of kind of a little awkward to be picked on like that, but I do that with other people as well. So uh, uh, I, I, the book of Jude is a short little book in the Bible, just one chapter, just 25 verses. And in this, chap, in this book, Jude, who was a half-brother of Jesus, wrote a letter to believers in his day, and he told them that some strange things were happening and were going to happen, and that one of those things was that there were going to be people who would come into their, into their lives who would be teaching wrong things. He, uh, he said, I wanted to write a letter to you just to talk about how much it was wonderful to be saved. But he said, I, I just couldn't get away from the prompting of the Holy Spirit to write and give you a warning. And so we're giving you a warning here today. He says that, that uh, and he talks about these false doctrines, false teachers, false teachings that would come in. And uh, really, Satan does not really care too much about how active we are in church, although we ought to be active in church. He doesn't really mind us uh, having a daily devotional time, reading our Bible on a regular basis, and things like that, what he does not want to see is for us to believe the truth. And there is a truth, and I know it's popular today. There is in our culture today, there are people say, well, there is no truth, that there's your truth, and there's my truth, and there's their truth, but that's not true. The truth is there is a truth, and it's what God says. That's the truth. And so... Uh, so he's, he's writing to give warning to all of us, but it's especially applicable to young people in our generation and people like, uh, like you, Zoe, and Ephraim. And uh, so uh, he talks about these people. He says, uh, he says they're, they, they, they have snuck in. In verse 4, he says, certain people have crept in unnoticed. And then he talks about their ungodly people later in that verse. And then all through the rest of the book, he keeps talking about these people, these people, them, these people. And he gives all this emphasis to these people. And then uh, it's, it's actually pretty, pretty sad. Connie, sorry, I couldn't wait any longer. We, okay. And... Uh, uh, but then he comes to verse 20, after he's talked about these people, these people, these false teachers, uh, these people are like uh, uh, clouds without water and all this kind of stuff. And then he says in verse 20, but you, but you. And so I'm talking to you, okay? But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He's talking there actually about waiting for the return of Jesus. And then he tells us to have mercy on those who doubt, and there will be some 
that you'll meet in school. Will you be living on campus? Okay. So you'll run into lots of people who are doubters, some that have come from churches, but they've got questions. And so he says, uh, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others like you're snatching them out of the fire. And then others show mercy with fear. In other words, there are going to be some people you associate with. They will have such a powerful influence that he says you can show mercy to them, but be careful and hate even the garment that is stained by the flesh. And so I want to focus just on two or three things this morning. Everybody's listening, so all of you know I'm talking to you as well. But I uh, kind of had Zoe in my mind. I've just been praying for you all this week, off and on, just uh, praying that God's going to uh, use you for one thing, bless you, protect you, and use you. But then it says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And, and that's an important thing for all of us, that we need to be doing things in our life that are actually building us up in our faith, strengthening our faith. How do we do that? How do we build ourselves and strengthen ourselves in our faith? Well, one thing is that we refuse to doubt. We just, and we refuse to listen to those who teach error. We just close our ears and our hearts to those who want to mislead us. And by the way, it's not just in, it's not just in SMU. It's not just in college campuses. But I mean, there are thousands of voices today that are denying the truth of God's Word. I mean, every time you turn on the television, every time you turn on or go to a movie, almost anything you pick up and read, and certainly on the Internet, there are these voices that are just saying, there's another truth. Don't listen to those things. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Now, our faith is anchored in God's Word. So that means that we stay in the Word, and we read the Word, we memorize parts of it, we meditate on it, and we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. And the faith is, he talks about in the very first, he says, uh, to earnestly contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And the faith, we've talked about this in the past, but the faith is that God's Word is in error, it's infallible, it is true. And secondly, that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived on this earth a sinless life, never once gave in to sin, and then He died a substitutionary death for your sin and for my sin. He took upon Himself my sin, and he paid the price, the debt that I owed, and then he was buried, and then he rose literally from the grave, and he is alive today, and, uh, and he's coming back again. So those five things, I mean, just we believe those five things, that God's word is true, and that Jesus is who he says he was, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the grave, and that he's coming again. And that is the basis of our most holy faith. And we build ourselves up in that 
by constantly reminding ourselves of these truths. And they will be attacked. They are being attacked every day, everywhere. And uh, so you associate with Christian people. If you can't come to church here, find you a good church where they really preach the word and where they love Jesus and have you a fellowship of a small group of people that can pray for you and you can pray for. That's so important. And a lot of college students, a lot of students, when they go off to college, they end up getting isolated. And, and the devil wants nothing more, nothing better than to just get us alone and separated from those who believe the truth. And so build yourself up on your most holy faith. And then he says, uh, uh, pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, I know there are people who say, well, that means that we pray in some kind of unknown language. That's not what it means. It means that we pray with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So we know what to pray for. We pray in the energy and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And we pray with fervency in spirit. And listen, the Holy Spirit himself lives in you. Isn't that amazing? To think that God, the Holy Spirit, actually has chosen to make your heart his home. He lives in you. And because of that, listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8. Uh, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness, and we do have weakness sometimes. There are times where we really are struggling, and so we say, how do I pray? How do, what, what do I pray for? He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. So what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit is that we pray in his energy, we pray in his wisdom, we let him actually pray, initiate prayer in us, and we pray it with sometimes even without words. I tell you, some of the most Meaningful prayers I've ever prayed had no words to them. They just had sobs. They just had tears. They just had groanings. And that's what he's saying here, that God hears our groanings when we are praying in the Holy Spirit. And then he says to uh, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in in the love of God. One thing that God wants us to know is that we are loved. You know, there's a generation of kids coming up today. Many, many, many kids in the generation that's coming up today who have not felt loved. They may have been loved, but they haven't felt loved. You know that the suicide rate is higher among young people today than it has ever been. At a time when we're the most prosperous nation on earth, at a time when we've got more uh, opportunities than any nation on earth, 
young people, the, uh, the number two killer among teenagers today is self-inflicted suicide. How is that possible? It's because somewhere along the way, these kids have not been told or shown, and they have not believed that they are loved. And even for Christians, there are times when we fail, times when we do something we know we shouldn't, and we wonder, does God still love me? And sometimes circumstances in life, pressures in life, make us wonder, am I loved? And I just want to tell you, you are loved. And he says, beloved, he addresses it, and you, beloved, keep yourself in the love of God. And that means you remind yourself often that God tells me that I'm loved. The world may tell you you're not loved. Other people may tell you that you're not loved. You may even tell yourself that you're not loved. But God is constantly saying, you are of great value to me. I told our class this last Wednesday night something that I share with teenagers a lot when I have an opportunity to speak at high schools or something like that. I say, uh, <clears throat> Kaylee, I saw Kaylee, where is Kaylee? Right there. Kaylee, suppose you were digging in your backyard and you came across a big clump of something and you dug it up and looked at it and it looked like a big piece of glass. And you said, wow, this is beautiful. And you cleaned it off and you took it in and you showed it to your mother and said, what, what do you think about this? And your mother said, well, it's pretty, but... It's just a piece of glass. You ought to just throw it away. And you say, well, I'm going to ask Dad. So you take it to Dad and say, Dad, what? Well, he says, well, it'd be a nice paperweight or something like that or a doorstop, but it's not, doesn't work, it's not worth anything. You ought to throw it away. Then you took it to school and showed it to one of your teachers. The teacher said, oh, that's interesting. It's geologically formed well, but it's not valuable. And then you picked up the paper and you looked and you saw that a famous geologist, a famous, uh, what do they call it, study diamonds and things like that. Well, there's, there's a name for those people. But anyway, you noticed that there was one in town and you thought, well, just for fun, I'm going to take it and show it to him. And you found him and you showed it to him and he put his little glass thing on his eye, you know, and he looks at it and then he opens his eye and the thing drops off. He said, this is a pure diamond. This is the largest diamond I've ever seen. I, it's probably worth $10 million. What would you do with that piece of rock? Would you throw it away? No. Well, why not? You've had three people tell you that it's not worth anything. So why wouldn't you throw it away? And your answer is because an expert, someone who really knows value, told me what it was worth. Did you know when I tell that to 
the high school students, many times, some of them will come to me afterwards and say, I appreciate you saying that because I have not felt like I was worth anything. And I've had many people, even classmates, who make me feel like I'm worthless. And I'm glad to know that the expert, the expert, tells me that I'm worth more than I can even imagine. And Zoe, you are. You are worth more than you can imagine. And Kaylee, you are too, and everybody else in here. And you say, well, but what if I do something? How do I know that God will always love me? What if, what if I were to lose that love? What if, what if God got mad at me? What if, what if somehow or another he stopped loving me? Well, then you go to Romans chapter 8 again. And he says in verse 31, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, <laughs> who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is it that's going to accuse us? Who's going to tell us that we're worthless? No, it's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or college? or anything else as it's written for your sake we're being killed all the day long we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am sure i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that good news? Is that good news? Sometimes we, uh, we're challenged to question whether we're really loved or not. That's why we need Romans 8 in the Bible. Some people have called it the most important chapter in the Bible. And if you're going to memorize any one chapter in the Bible, boy, that would be a great one to memorize. Because it starts with the fact that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and it ends with nothing can ever separate us 
from his love. So build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We are constantly not only looking up, we're looking forward. We're looking to the day when Jesus comes back and takes us to be with him forever. He puts everything right. Now, we live in a crazy day, don't we? Our world has gone crazy. Our country has gone crazy. I mean, really, literally. It, it is beyond reason, the things that are happening in our culture today. It has to be something spiritual. It has to be something demonic. The stuff that's happening in our country where uh, marriage is redefined and gender is redefined and all this kind of stuff. I mean, 30 years ago, if somebody had told us some of this that's happened today, we would have thought it was a joke. We would have thought that they were being silly. But today, you're going to be faced with it at every turn all of us in every age. You'll be surrounded with it at college. You, you will. And, and everything that you have nailed down will be questioned. And the devil is pulling nails as fast as he can in our culture today. And that's the reason it's so, so, so important that we know what we believe, who we believe, and why we believe, and that we live in that faith. So I just challenge all of us, that is for me as well, to uh, build myself up in my most holy faith, that I believe God. And I don't listen to all the voices. I hear them too. I hear them too. And I just have to say, no. God says, when Jesus was led out in the wilderness and Satan came to him with all these temptations, every, every response that Jesus gave, he said, it is written. It is written. The word has said, God has declared, this is the truth. And so I have to build myself up on my most holy faith. And I have to pray in the energy and the wisdom and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And I have to keep myself in the love of God. Remind myself that God loves me not because I'm anything special. But I am something special because he loves me. That's what makes me special. His, the fact that he has chosen me, that he has redeemed me, that he has called me by name, and that he has put in me the love of God shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. So, uh... I know not any of the rest of you are graduating from high school today or college, but uh, 
but I pray that you'll take Zoe's sermon and uh, apply it in your own heart, in your own life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given us truth. I know Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? And Jesus' answer to him was, it is for this that I have come into the world. And he said in John chapter 14, I am the truth. I am the truth. And I pray for each one of us today, not just Zoe, but I pray for every one of us that we will stand firmly planted, anchored in the truth of your word, and that we will build ourselves up by the associations that we have, by the truth that you've revealed, that we will build ourselves up in our most holy faith and that you will help us keep ourselves in the love that you have poured out on us and help us to pray in the wisdom, the energy, and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this for each of us in Jesus' name. Let me ask you, are you loved? Do you, do you know your love? Do you believe? Do you really believe that God loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you? Do you believe that? Now you say, well, I, I've heard that. I think I know it's true, but that, that's not the question. Do you believe it? Because believing it changes your life. It really changes your thinking. It changes your actions. It changes your life. And if you have not believed it, I just challenge you today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, rescued, changed. We're going to sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if you need to come this morning, put your trust in Jesus. You come as we stand together and as we sing.